Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. And welcome to Future Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Juliet Lamar, and we have joining us today Bryant Nielsen. He is the founder of the Blockchain Academy. Welcome, Bryant. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. So why don't you go ahead and kick us off with, uh, you know, what is the Blockchain Academy? I have a, I have an idea of what I think it is, um, but why don't you tell our listeners about what it is? Sure. The Blockchain Academy is, uh, we're an educational and training firm, and we have specialized in uh, the blockchain uh, or training about the technology for the past uh, two and a half years. And we have courses that cover everything from uh, what we would refer to as essential and foundational courses, uh, courses on the use of uh, cryptos in the blockchain, not a crypto course, but cryptos in the blockchain. We have programs on the regulatory aspect of blockchain from a global perspective. We do uh, courses on blockchain for lawyers, uh, blockchain for accountants. Um, We have a number of programs that are specifically more for developers. We have a blockchain architecture course, a blockchain security course, and of course we have programs that will cover everything from Ethereum to Hyperledger to EOS to uh, Corda to Ripple, uh, just about anything that is out there where there's a need for training. And uh, we've been delivering these courses, uh, again, for two and a half years. Okay, so it's, a, it's like a two and a half year program um, that you can take it's as one not a two and a half you can pick and choose? Uh, the programs are actually broke down, broken down into increments. So like I would say that our we have two channels uh, that I refer to. As, one is is for the non-technical, and that could be anyone from a stakeholder to a an entrepreneur uh, or a professional who is going to be engaging uh, with blockchain technology or a firm that has blockchain technology. And it's important for them to understand the capabilities uh, of blockchain and how it's really going to start to impact uh, what they're doing. And so that's one segment. And then the other segment is, is just the developer courses. And so um, the blockchain for the stakeholders, which we call our corporate channel, uh, is generally about um, uh, generally about uh, one week to two weeks in length, and the uh, developer courses uh, are generally one to two weeks, but people string them together, and we even have a boot camp that is a six-week program. So uh, generally, uh, we require for the developers to be a full-stack developer coming in. Uh, we don't do the rudimentary um, basic uh, programming teaching. Uh, so we want people to already have this skill set, and so that once they come to us, we can actually really accelerate and amplify what they're trying to accomplish and be a part of this blockchain ecosystem. So this is just like a next a next step, a, another layer on top of, of a, a nicely laid foundation of, of a coding and, and that type of technology. Well, the, the real question should be is uh, why are we doing this instead of just allowing people to do, to do it on their own? And really it comes down to a numbers game. Uh, and uh, for us, uh, and especially for me, there, there is a huge, huge deficit in terms of the number of developers available. So uh, back in 2016, it was estimated that there were 5,000 full-time blockchain developers globally. And 
by most accounts, that's actually expanded to about 7,500 full-time blockchain developers. But when you start, step back and you start to look at the various industry sectors and start to see uh, what is required for uh, all the initiatives that they want to do. So if you look at the legal profession, uh, globally, they need to have people, about 200,000 blockchain developers to help them with their, all the smart contracts and all the things that are associated with it. Insurance is about a similar size market. Uh, you go into uh, the supply chain, and that's probably a multiple of 10. You need about probably a million or two million uh, blockchain developers to handle all the initiatives globally uh, that are blockchain needed. Uh, the financial sector needs about a quarter million full-time blockchain developers. And again, it's not financial sector for one financial center, say like New York or London, but for all the initiatives that are globally done. You step back and you say to yourself, okay, if we're really at 7,500 and we really need for all of the implementations and all of the programs that people want to do out there, there's a need for about 7.5 million full-time blockchain developers. And to put that in comparison, the number of Java developers is currently about 18 million. The number of JavaScript developers are about 12 million. C++ developers are about 10 million globally. So we're at the very um, beginning stages of trying to take the advantage of this technology. But one of the reasons why there has been little or no major enterprise rollout of a blockchain initiative is because they don't have the human capital. And that's really what we've focused on. We we go out and we say to our clients, we're going, if you're going to be doing a blockchain initiative, you're going to have to manage your human capital first so that you have the capabilities to actually do an enterprise rollout. A POC is not an enterprise rollout. A POC you can do with a, a core number of three or four very uh, amazing developers, and they're going to come in and they're just going to bang something together, and you're going to be able to say, yep, it can be done, and there might be actually a savings that is attached to it. But for an enterprise rollout, it's, that takes a lot of staff, and it takes a, a huge commitment. And, um, you know, so for when Santander Bank actually estimated two years ago that uh, it was going to save the banking industry $20 billion a year to adopt this technology, saving $20 billion a year, uh, the first segment of that is going to be that it's going to cost them a little more because they're going to have to support the existing legacy systems and bring on the now a whole new team to manage the blockchain initiatives so that as they uh, switch over from their legacy systems to the blockchain uh, implementations, they'll have that, that handoff uh, managed smoothly and correctly. But at some point, then all those old legacy people, will their jobs are going to basically dry up, and that's when the savings will actually be amplified for all of these institutions. But our job is, is to say, okay, well, a, an average person can actually go out and actually learn how to become a blockchain developer on their own. It might take them about a year to do so. And part of that is, is they don't have a curated a learning path for them to understand. And so it's important for them to actually come to a training company like the Blockchain Academy, simply because what we have done is, is first of all, we're specialists in blockchain. But the second thing, and training. So the second thing is, is that we already know how to structure a program so that you only need to learn the things that are relevant for you to do your job. And from that standpoint, then you can make an impact very rapidly once you join a company. So 
people come on and they can t- can take these courses. I'm assuming it's all online. It's not. It's, it's half of it's online and half of it is live uh, live instructor led training. Awesome. Okay. So you come on, you can take this, you can add it to your resume. Um, I guess how how often with this technology do people need to? You said you only teach things that are that are relevant that you need to know right now. How quickly is this technology changing where people might need to come and take another course to kind of refresh their their skills and knowledge of of upcoming issues or problems potentially? Well, if you instead of focusing on blockchain, let's focus on what happens in generally in technology. So generally in technology, you you have uh, waves uh, of um, improvement in in individual technology. So if you can now come back to the blockchain uh, space, if you think of it as the Bitcoin blockchain as that generation one, well, that's now been around for nine years, uh, coming up on 10 years at the uh, beginning of next year. And so that is a generation one component. And so that's a more simple blockchain to, to learn and understand. Well, then that gen two uh, blockchains are uh, basically your Ethereum and your Hyperledgers, and they've already been around for a couple of years. Now, they're not fundamentally changing, just like the original Bitcoin blockchain is not fundamentally changing in any rapid direction. I mean, the big changes are, are when we have a fork. And so that was the experience that we had where all of a sudden uh, Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin uh, became two de- separate currencies. Uh, so it, those are very slow-moving components. Where we're really seeing uh, advances is, is now in these Generation 3 and Generation 4 type implementations, these blockchains. Um, and to make a comparative analysis to, so people can understand what Gen 1, Gen 2, Gen 3, Gen 4 is. So Gen 1, so that's the Bitcoin. That has the capacity to do somewhere around 7 to 10 transactions a second. So there's a limited capacity. And so there's uh, so irrespective of how large the mining pool becomes, it, it doesn't speed it up. Uh, simply, it might even slow it down if it becomes too large, because as each new resource comes online, the uh, complexity and sophistication of the algorithm becomes more difficult. And you still have to wait for all of these nodes to be able to duplicate and replicate the data. So. That's why there's huge costs associated with those gen, with the Gen 1 type uh, blockchain implementations. Well, the Gen 2s started to improve upon that. And so what they've done is, is they've actually been able to scale up um, using just the base technology uh, to about 15 to 20 transactions per second. So you basically almost double the speed. But again, it has a limitation. It doesn't scale real well. Ethereum, as beautiful of a platform as it is, it does have limitations. And so a lot of the solutions that are being built to speed it up are basically moving uh, or creating actually blockchains that are off on the side, so side chains. And as a result of those side chains, that is basically what they're, uh, how they're speeding it up. So they're actually doing the transactions on a platform that is not that primary platform, but then they bundle up those transactions and then post it to that platform. So um, both Ethereum and Hyperledger are in that space. Now, the Gen 3s is a perfect example is, of course, uh, Steam uh, and its uh, implementation, which is Steemit. So if you tried to run that on uh, Ethereum, uh, it would crush the Ethereum platform. 
It needs to be able to have transactions in the tens of thousands per second, simply because anytime someone likes a particular art article, they just click the like, well, that technically is a transaction. It would cost an inordinate amount to support it, but because it's restructured and re-architect uh, as, a, as a platform, it becomes much more uh, engaging. And then that gets us to really to these new, uh, really powerful uh, platforms, which are basically your Gen 4, like the EOS and the Steam, I mean, not Steam, um, Stellar platforms, uh, or um, uh, what's the name of that one? Um, it's it's Hash. Oh, why is it? I, I'm not remembering it. Anyway, they're able to do transactions in the tens of thousands uh, to millions of transactions per second. And they basically managed all these things. So what's going to happen is, is, getting back to your original question, is, is will these people have to learn new things? Well, the beauty of technology is, is that they generally build upon uh, prior technology and the understanding of that. So as you start to understand the role of what blockchain does, it's, it's not dissimilar to saying, I'm going to be programming for MySQL and I now need to do something in MS SQL. And again, similar structure. So they understand the logic, they understand how the capabilities are, but there is still a learning path or going to the Oracle SQL structure. And again, they're all unique, but fundamentally they're the same. Well, the same is true for now all these blockchain uh, platforms as we see them. An individual um, uh, developer could start with the very basic one, just the Bitcoin blockchain. How do I use this? Uh, I mean, the most amazing thing is that a lot of people have said that, that the innovation of Ethereum was is the, uh, the inclusion of smart contracts. Well, if you look back at the original code for Bitcoin, it had a smart contract capability built into it, but they wanted to make the, the code more efficient. So they took that part out in 2011. So all Ethereum did is they took that original code, optimized it, and expanded the capabilities for all of these smart contracts. It's essentially the same code as the Bitcoin code. And so all the derivative uh, platforms uh, like Quorum are also very much similar, and that's why they have these capabilities. But getting to the developer, so if they started with the Bitcoin uh, blockchain and then moved to the Ethereum, it's going to be fairly comfortable. There'll be things they have to learn, new things they have to learn, but they're still going to be fairly comfortable with how it's structured and how it's written. Well, one of the problems, again, with some of these now earlier generation platforms is, is that they're very, very unforgiving. So if you make a smart contract in Ethereum or Hyperledger, it's like uh, it's do or die. If, if the smart contract is written perfectly, and nothing is written perfectly, then it will function exactly as it's intended. But what's happening is, is, is that the technology is changing and people's ideas and their uh, inspiration that they're getting for any implementation of technology is coming at such a rapid pace that they're, they're trying to, to deploy things like smart contracts. And then the question is, is how do they go back and fix a badly written smart contract? Well, these Gen 4 platforms, these blockchain generation 4 platforms, have that capability to rewrite these things. And so it allows for a more flexible approach to using blockchain in a widely distributed 
uh, manner, which current ones, so the Gen 2 blockchain uh, platforms, still struggle with, and they're still going to continue to struggle. That doesn't mean that at some point that they won't solve them. It's just that while they have the lead now, um, they're going to be playing catch-up um, at some point in the future. Uh, let's get into a little bit about the student experience. Um, you know, when you are you paying for courses, is there is it a subscription or like a you know an annual semester fee or is it a one-time fee? And how do they access their courses? Right. Uh, so we've played around with a couple of the different uh, pricing models. Um, if you think of uh, so, a part of our platform is delivered uh, video. Uh, so we were uh, the progen uh, the the company that was actually the founding company that we used the technology for our, uh, adopted um, the MOOC learning framework for learning uh, back in 2013. And so half of our courses are delivered using that framework. And that is, is a video-based uh, delivery where it's considered almost as it's in person. Uh, it allows for a, a particular student to view something, review it, uh, view it at any time that is convenient for them, view it as fast or as slow as they want, uh, but also have then the capabilities to ask questions. So they can post a question, and there is an instructor who will then respond to them uh, every 24 hours. And since we live in a global uh, economy, can't really do it faster than 24 hours, simply because somebody might be taking a particular course, a video course in Japan, and uh, another person might be taking a video course, say, in Moscow, and just simply because of the time differences, that's difficult. So that's half of our delivery. So that's a very straightforward uh, type approach. We've ran them both in siloed uh, delivery, which means that an individual can start at any time a particular course and end at any time in, in a particular way. And we've done it in the MOOC flat, uh, framework, which is, is that there's a particular start date, say June 1st, and a particular completion date, say June 31st or 30th. And so we we play around with those, and those work really well. The other aspect of it, of course, is then our instructor-led. Those are delivered face-to-face. -face. And the reason why we do that is, is because it's, it's difficult to solve a problem when you're trying to deliver something, say, via a WebEx or some type of Zoom uh, delivery, simply because what happens is, is that the the developer needs to be able to watch what the uh, instructor is showing them and at the same time be able to work on their laptops or their machines to actually do the work that they're trying to actually uh, emulate. And so that requires either two screens or two machines to do it. So through the, our experience, that's been more difficult. Now, how does it get to pricing? We've played around with the idea of mimicking, say, the lynda.com pricing. Uh, model, which is, is just a subscription. Uh, you consume as much as you want. Um, we've never felt comfortable with that. Um, and so what we've done is, is a, really adopted the more academic or traditional corporate training model. And that is, is you will pay for a course and that will be it. And so it's just a, a basically a, on a delivery basis. So if you were to get a course that would be equivalent to a two-day course, uh, it's going to be about 1600 so we try to target it about the equivalent of $800 a day. For the developer courses, they're more affordable. Uh, they get down to, on the uh, one- and two-week type courses, uh, they're getting down to about uh, between five and $600 a day. 
uh, for delivery. And we've found that um, for the quality that we deliver, that is really the sweet spot for the pricing model. Excellent. And tell us a little bit about the instructors that are at the Academy. So we have a number of instructors, and basically the approach that we've taken on the instructors is twofold. One is is we want them to be able to be capable of delivering a course. So there's a lot of very capable people out there who were who were just geniuses who don't have um, the ability to actually share or impart knowledge to students. Uh, so that's an important criteria is is that we need to have somebody, an instructor who has the capability of engaging uh, students in a way that allows for uh, a beautiful learning experience. The other side of it, though, for an instructor is is that they have to have some relevant experiences. So as a result, um, two perfect examples as we have uh, just released two programs. One is Blockchain for Lawyers, and the other one is Blockchain Regulatory Environment, which is a global perspective of blockchain laws. Uh, both of those were actually done by a woman who uh, is a, a an attorney. Uh, she also has a PhD, and she was um, very much involved in a major international um, investment bank in their compliance and regulatory uh, space. And so that's really the type of approach that we want. We want to have somebody who has not only hands-on uh, experience, and oftentimes that's referred to as a subject matter expert, but the other aspect of this is we have to make sure that they're engaging and so that people who are either viewing or participating in a course are going to find it really impactful. And um, that means then, of course, that the instructors also have to be approachable. But that's really the approach we have. So they have to have the capability to communicate and teach as well as the experience. Um, what is the best way for people to get signed up if they're interested in taking courses? Well, they can go, the easiest way is, is they can go to uh, the blockchainacademy.com and they can see all the courses that we're currently offering. We have a, a calendar of events uh, that is showing all the courses that are upcoming. Uh, we've been delivering them in various locations, primarily in the New York metro area, uh, but we've also been delivering some courses in San Francisco. Uh, so that's our, our primary delivery uh, space. Uh, for the developer courses, but we have delivered uh, to individuals globally all of our online. So uh, we have, I think, um, 36 countries that where students have come from uh, that have taken our online uh, portions of our course. Fantastic. Well, Brian, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us here on Future Tech Podcast and explain you know, this really wonderful resource for people who are looking to to gain more knowledge in this field. Well, thank you very much for having me here. This is actually a very interesting uh, podcast, very much so. And, um, as When I started to research it, I thought it was really amazing, just the the, uh, the quality and quantity of content that you actually produce. You've really done something that is really amazing. You've created an amazing resource for so many people, and I'm sure your listeners appreciate each and every podcast that you deliver. I truly hope so. That is our goal, is to is to widen the community and to broaden everyone's knowledge about about these these different technologies that really will be impacting our lives in a in a huge way. So I have a question for you. What of of all the things that you interview people about? You have you cover so many different topics. Uh, how is it that you have become so attuned and so well connected into all of these various 
uh, technology segments. I think that what you've done is, is actually quite amazing. I personally can only speak for myself, but it's I have a genuine curiosity in the world around me and people who are affected by that world. And I see these these technologies as ways of humans to broaden their their reach, their knowledge, and their capabilities in the, in the world that is surrounding them and affecting their fellow humans. And I'm just like a little sponge. I like to I like to absorb all the information. I love talking to people, and I truly enjoy uh, hearing the world through different people's perspectives. Well, I want to thank you, and I'm sure all of your listeners appreciate all the effort and hard work that you put into this. Well, thank you so much. That is Bryant Nielsen. He is the founder of the Blockchain Academy, and you can go and see all of the amazing things they have to offer at theblockchainacademy.com. Thank you all so much for tuning in today to Future Tech Podcast. This has been Juliet Lamar. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, both to review to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.